Welcome, lovely listeners, to Soul Stirred, stories of growth and the human experience. I'm Emily Garcia. And I'm Casey Clark. We will be your guides on this journey. We are so glad you are here. Each week, we'll come together, sometimes with other incredible thinkers, creators, and adventurers, to generously share stories of self-discovery, recovery, triumph, and what it means to live a life on purpose. No matter where you are in your own journey, connection is here for you at Soulster. Settle in, take a deep breath in, and let's inspire each other. Welcome to Soulstered. Welcome, Soulstered listeners. We're so glad you are here. Today, we are welcoming Pam Coffey, professionally certified coach and certified Dare to Lead facilitator. However, today, Pam is here not to talk about her experience as a coach. She's here to tell you about her dear friend, Jane Marie. We're, her friend Jane Marie passed away from Alzheimer's in 2022. Today, we're highlighting Pam and Jane Marie's friendship as a follow-up to our previous episode with Kay Adams and her book, Bedside Witness. We are going to explore more about what it's like to be a caretaker or care partner for someone who is experiencing dementia or Alzheimer's and the inside experience. Solstered listeners, grab your tissue. We're about to take you on a heartfelt journey of friendship until the end. Thanks for being with us today, Pam. I'm especially excited to have you for lots of reasons, um, and most especially because this today's episode highlights for us uh, one of the first connections formed by Solstered and through Solstered. So I know that um, your story with Jane Marie, who I also knew personally, is a very precious thing, and we appreciate you being willing to come here today and share it with us and our listeners for the sake of connection. So tell us about Jane Marie. Well, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a delight to talk about her. I um, actually, um, I think I feel I feel very honored to have this opportunity to talk about such a special person. So um, let's start with the fact that she passed away. Um, a year and a half ago, March 31st, it was uh, 2022, which is hard to believe. And there's not a day that has gone by that I don't think of her. And she was just such a innocent, kind, generous, thoughtful, caring person. And that's how I've always known her. Uh, We met through our work at the Environmental Protection Agency. I was a training officer in 1994 for the EPA here in Denver. And Jane Marie had the same position in the Philadelphia office for EPA. And she called me one day and said, now keep this on the down low, but my husband wants to come to um, college in Colorado. And so I just wondered, is there any possibility that you think I could get a position in HR at EPA in Denver? Mm -hmm. HR, Human Resources, EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. I put my feelers out and we were able to get her a detail in the Denver office building our telework program. If you can imagine that, that doesn't that seem like old news? Yeah. What year was it? You know, and so here she comes and uh, she just did an amazing job. She wrote policy. She figured out logistics. She got buy-in. She just knocked it out of the park as she did everything that she put her hands on. She was um, very proud to describe herself as a perfectionist, you know, and, and she did everything with excellence. She was very bright. She was very creative. She built relationships with people and she worked hard. She cared about her job and she was proud of how good she was. So we worked together and we, uh, once the telework policy was in place and some flexible work schedules came into place, we ended up being able to have every other Friday off together. And we spent every other Friday off together. And <laughs> our favorite thing was to go to Little Richie's Pizza and go to a movie. Mm-hmm. And we both shared our uh, passion for Diet Pepsi was mine, Diet Coke was hers, and uh, <laughs> pizza and movies. And that's what we did. And our friendship just blossomed. 
and I loved being with her. And, you know, if she, if you had the privilege of knowing her and being her, you would, you would have felt that it was warmth and acceptance. I would, I, that would be my sub name for Jane Marie was acceptance. Yeah. She felt like loving kindness to me. Yeah. Like, like one of those people who didn't just talk about it, but actually it felt like being in it, in her presence. Yeah. She was just so gentle. And uh, no matter what you told her, whatever I told her, she met with acceptance or she would help me see it in a way that made me feel better about it. Mm. I, I loved the intimacy of our conversations and she was a, a cheerleader for people. She was a champion and she became a coach and she was really good at it and served a lot of people. How lucky are you to have had a friend like that? Oh yeah. Um, mm. Count my lucky stars every day. She was such a gift in my life and that's how I, still hold her and how I feel about her. Yeah. So share with our listeners um, the evolution of your friendship and and what ultimately came to be. Jane, what Jane Marie's great request of you is what I would call it in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, we stayed on our, our pattern and lived life together and shared all of the challenges of that life brings, um, supporting each other through divorce and the birth of our children. Uh, I had my son, Ben, in 2000, and uh, she had her daughter, Kate, in 2000, seven weeks later. And so that mm. meant we got to share our pregnancies together. So guess what we did every other Friday? Pizza. Pizza in a movie. <laughs> As we got bigger and bigger. Yeah. And so that was, that, those are major life events to share. And she was uh, just the best person I could think of to share it with. And so 2011, uh, our children are 11. And, um, and let me just mention that I have another child uh, because when my daughter Caitlin listens to this, if I don't mention her, she'll be like, thanks a lot, mom. You made it sound like I had one kid. Um, so, so hi, hi Caitlin. Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> And so um, we were, you know, we were out to dinner one night. I think we were at a conference at the Gaylord in Baltimore. Um, we loved to go to I Can Do It conferences together with Marianne Williamson and Louise Hay and Robert Holden. And that was an event wherever they were having it, whatever city we went. And I think this year it happened to be in Baltimore at the Gaylord um, on the National Harbor. And uh, we were sitting there and we went to pay the bill and she uh, she pulled a Ziploc bag out of her purse with all of her money in it. I said, Jean Marie, why is all your money in a Ziploc bag? And she's, well, I don't know. That's just what I decided to put it in. I'm like, huh, okay. Hmm. And she she takes it out, puts it away, and um, the receipt came and to put the tip on it. Well, first of all, who pays cash for dinner? Um, so that was one thing. I was like, you know, let's put this on credit cards. Um, but she struggled with figuring out the tip. And she's mm -hmm. like, Pam, look at this. Will you just do it? And I said, okay, yeah, I'll do it. But that, but it was just, just a little red flag for me. Like, hmm, that's not normal for her, you know? And so we went, well, then we went on. And a few minutes later, she's like, where's my money? Where's my money? I can't find my money. What did I do with my money? I said, you just had it in a little baggie that you took out. And I saw you put it back in your purse. You can't find it in your purse. And so we looked and there it was, oh, there it is, there it is. Okay, so we move on and we're staying in the hotel and I see her by the bathroom. The sink was right across from the bathroom door and there was a mirror in between it and she hardly figured out which door was the bathroom. She was just kind of like, huh, you know, like it was a very brief thing that time. There were other times where the mirror became a much bigger issue, um, but I just kind of watched. She figured it out, didn't need to say anything. But it was just the very beginning. And when I look back, that's what I realized was like the first thing that I started to notice. Mm -hmm. And then there were more things that I noticed. Uh, she and her daughter came to visit me at the time I lived in Washington, DC. And we met for a sandwich in the afternoon and we had a big, long, in-depth conversation about where we would meet the next day. They were gonna come to my house for dinner. Should we meet at the Metro stop? Do you want me to give you a ride? How should we do this? And so we figured it all out. We'll meet at 4.30, the White Flint Metro stop. And 
I'll pick you up and take you to my house for dinner, et cetera. So the next morning I'm in my office, the phone rings and it's Jane Marie. Hi, Jane Marie. How are you? I'm good. I just wanted to call and uh, figure out what our plans are for tonight. Where are we meeting? What are we doing? I just paused. I was, I said, well, Jane, um, we talked about this last night. Remember you and me and Kate, and we're going to meet at White Flint and, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. We did. Oh, you know, just must've had a brain cramp, you know, mm-hmm. but again, I'm like, that is just so not like her. I think the biggest thing was how these things were so not like her. Right. You know? And so, so after a few things like this, I picked up the phone with our mutual, very dear friend, Richard Archuleta, who also worked at EPA. And like, Richard, have you noticed anything different about Jane Marie lately? And he's like, well, yeah, um, I have noticed a couple things, but tell me what you're noticing. So we start talking and I said, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's time for me to say anything to her or bring it up, but I'm really concerned and just keep an eye on it. Let's talk again, you know, and not share it with anybody else. You know, we're not trying to public go public with this, but I needed somebody else to have eyes on this and, mm-hmm. and see. And as time went on, he, he would say, you know, we were in um, doing a workshop, which she was a wonderful trainer and she would lose her place. Where were we? What page were we just doing? What were we talking about? Again, not like her. Mm-hmm. And um, as things progressed, um, as they did, you know, she did a lot of work for the senior management team and she would do memos where sentences weren't completed and things of that nature. So we saw it, you know, go over time. And I did start having conversations with her and I said, you know, Jane Marie, um, I'm just noticing some things that just don't seem like you. Are you noticing anything? She's like, well, you know, I had that sinus surgery. I think it must just be a result of that. You know, I'm just going to give it some time because that just needs to really heal. And she started coming up with justifications. Like she was noticing the things, but she had reasons for it, right? Like I'm sure it's just that, or I'm sure it's just that. Um, such and, such relevance to like the human experience there where we want to tell ourselves a story that can prevent us feeling the grief that might be on the other side of the truth. All the stages yeah. of change, the state which match the stages of dying, you know, let's yeah. be in denial first. This is total yeah. denial, right? Yeah. And uh, so I, I kept talking to her and finally I said, you know, why don't we um, go see a doctor and know for sure if this is something or not something, you know? And I said, I think we should just go to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester and go to the best and just see what's what. And if it's nothing, great, then we know it's nothing. And if it is something, then the earlier we get it treated, you know, the better things will be. So she agreed. Could we interject here? What a good friend. What a good friend to have the presence of mind and be paying attention to noticing the subtle changes in her behavior and her thinking, and then to love her enough to be willing to help her see the truth of what's changing and then to resource her. And what I know from my own relationship with you is that you also sort of walked beside her every single step of that way. I just, I, I have to comment on it because I think I, feel even some like envy around it to be loved by another person who is not your intimate partner or parent the way that you love friends and especially Jane Marie. What a gift. Yeah. Well, and she had gotten divorced by now. And so was living a single life. Um, Mm -hmm. She had her daughter, Kate, who was 11 when this started to happen, which talk about her tender years going through her teenagers through this and my parents are divorced and now my mom is declining. Yeah. Well, my mom's starting to do some different things. Yeah. Yeah. So we decided we would go to Mayo Clinic and get an official diagnosis. And I just want to say, um, you know, she'd gotten divorced and she had an 11 year old daughter who was also my goddaughter and her family, who she was very close to, uh, dearly loved her mother and her mother adored her uh, and had four younger brothers that all lived in Philly. And so it never entered my mind that I wouldn't go with her. 
it just was like, okay, this is what needs to happen next. This is what we're going to do. We are going to do this. <laughs> and so we did. And off we went. And as we were off the airport and driving to the hotel and preparing for the appointments the next day, she said to me in her quiet way, you know, Pam, if they tell me I have something horrible like Alzheimer's, I will do my best to try to accept it. And I don't think either one of us wanted to say that word out loud. It's like saying the big C word. You just don't want to speak it into existence. Mm -hmm. And I just said, well, Jane, it will be really hard to hear that if that's what they say. And we'll stay on this journey. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out and deal with whatever we have to deal with. We, 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 and I meant the we, you know, mm -hmm. like I just couldn't imagine, um, you know, it, it's our friendship. We were soul sisters. She didn't have a sister. I felt like I was the sister she didn't have. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like marriage or long friendships. It was like for better or for worse, you know, how could I not be her friend anymore when she's sick? Mm -hmm. You know, so we went to Mayo and we um, went to a lot of different appointments in a short time that we were there. They were very thorough, um, lots of questions, lots of testing. And the words that they said um, before we left were, you have symptoms consistent with somebody who has early onset Alzheimer's. So they don't actually say you have this. You have symptoms consistent with somebody who has this. Wow. And so we left and I feel like the journey had already begun before that. And it felt like that might've been the official start of the trip. Yeah. At least yeah. in her mind, she heard it from somebody that she found credible and believed and it was awful. And yeah. I think she went through a, you know, like lambasted into another phase of grief and bargaining and sadness. You just couldn't understand why me, why me, why me, why me? Mm -hmm. What did I do? What did I do? And you know, no one deserves it. Nobody does anything to deserve that horrible disease. It just was. They have done a lot of research to try and figure out why people end up with early onset Alzheimer's. And like you did a great job of holding that space for her and allowing her to grieve during that time and then help yeah. her move forward. Yeah. And we just had to take as much time as it took in that phase too. And, and she just kept living her life, kept working, kept doing her best. And as she, as she would, um, and time went by and we could see things progressing. And, you know, we got to the point where um, I didn't really feel that she was safe living on her own. And I um, came in touch with the resource manager who uh, like knew all the resources that were out there to help people. So she helped me connect with caretakers that would come during the day and maybe help her bathe or shower a few days a week. Mm -hmm. um, and we did that for a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and also, um, throughout this, it came the time where she had to leave her job because she was making so many mistakes at work that were not good and people were noticing. Mm -hmm. um, and so another friend of ours, Kathy Ayala, um, God bless her, helped Jane Marie figure out the process for processing for disability retirement. And so she got that. So that's a gift. Working for the government was a total gift because she ended up with a check that we knew would come every month for the rest of her life mm -hmm. um, that was to pay her bills. And so God bless that she could have the funding resources. I don't know what people do that wouldn't have that to yeah. be able to pay her mortgage and et cetera. So another significant chapter in the story of Jane Marie's life and process and journey was that her brother came to live with her to keep her safe when the time came that we didn't feel like it was okay for her to be alone all the time. She was starting to do things like put orange juice in her oatmeal in the morning instead of the milk. And I didn't know if, what if she left a stove burner on or who knows what. And so her brother, Michael generously agreed to come and just live there. He had another job during the day and I was able to bring caretakers in during the day. And then he'd get home at night and make her dinner and help her get to bed, etc. And Jane Marie's mother came to visit 
from Philly and was asleep on the couch. Michael's room was downstairs. Kate was in her room. Jamie was in her room. Michael comes barreling up the stairs screaming, mom, my head, my head, my head is killing me and proceeds to have an aneurysm burst in his brain and dies on the living room floor. Mm. And it's just hard to get your head around that that happened and the shock of that and the tragedy of that. And that was Jean Marie's caretaker. And so mm. Michael and I had had lots of conversations. We stayed in constant touch with each other and um, we had agreed that her that she was getting to the place where she couldn't really be left home alone. She begged us to not have her move from her house. She wanted that more than anything to stay in her home. And I think that's a common thing, mm -hmm. but she also had no partner. And, and Michael and I said, let's, you know, what, what's the next stage going to be? Where, do, where, where is a good place for her to live when she can't live here anymore? Because um, funding full-time care for someone 24 hours a day is an astronomical amount of money. And mm -hmm. we didn't know how much longer she'd live. We didn't know if she'd have enough to maintain that. Um, and who would it be? I, it just felt big. And so uh, Angels of Mercy, I tell you, they just kept, kept appearing when I needed them. But I found a woman who had taken four or five homes, four at the time, I think, and she and her husband had renovated homes and neighborhoods, ranch style houses, and on the hallway where the bedrooms were, they made them into eight bedrooms. So they could have eight, eight patients living there. And then they hired a couple who would live in the lower part of the house, but be there upstairs to take care of the eight patients all day long and all of their needs. And nurses would come to visit. Every time Jane Marie needed a doctor's appointment, I would take her, um, you know, so doctors didn't necessarily come there, but um, she had full-time care in a small, warm, comfortable, beautiful home environment. And that was perfect for her because she mm -hmm. was not a person that was going to thrive in a facility with a hundred or more people. Um, it just wasn't going to work for her. So she got personal attention. They knew her. I just felt so blessed. And I was really clear. I wanted Jane Marie to make as many decisions for herself as she could while she could mm -hmm. so that I wasn't trying to decide for her. Let me yeah. know what you want and I will support your decisions for the rest of your yeah. life. Which and I so, would think might be an important attribute of your relationship. Like in a yes. way that a, in a way that a partner might be less able to be objective. It's another yeah. gift of a friend to be able to continue to like promote that autonomy for as long as possible. Like you don't necessarily have the same things to personalize in the relationship yeah. as an intimate partner might, you know? Right. Well, and the intimate partner might be thinking about the intimate partner's needs too. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And I was very, my intention was I wanted Jane Marie to feel in control of her life as much as she could for as long as she could. Yeah. I want you yeah. to make the decisions about you. I want you to tell me what you want to eat and where you want to eat and where you want to live and yeah. who you want to take care of you and who you don't yeah. and who your doctors are. And you know, I uh, found her a dentist, just a quick story, found her a dentist um, that was very close to the home where she was living, if we leap ahead a little bit to where she ended up living. And um, she just like threw a fit. No, I have a dentist. I have the dentist I've been going to for 25 years. I don't want a different dentist. I want that dentist. And okay. I was like, all right, that's really clear. I think we need to honor that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So guess what? Guess what dentist she went to? Yeah. Yeah. Hers. And so yeah. things like that. Yeah. Well, it's so and that was important for a person to get to hold intact their personhood for as long as possible when they're oh, facing yeah. so much loss. Yeah. Yeah. And such an independent woman, so yeah. clear about what she wanted and how things were going to be and how they weren't. And so that was a big one. So I was like, all right. Off to Lakewood we go, which was much further away than where this dentist was, but it was clear and it was twice a year. And so that's what we're going to do. Good for um, and it was, you know, it was, a, it was just a big thing to manage another person's life, you know? Mm -hmm. So, cause she had all the appointments and needs that I had. She needed to go to this kind of doctor and that kind of doctor and her physical and her blood work and her Alzheimer's doctor and her dentist. And, mm -hmm. you know, she needed clothes and she needed 
you know, she wanted to go out and have dinner with people and, you know, all those things. And so um, the next phase I would say was um, we took, I took her to an attorney. It was an attorney that she had um, hired herself previously, I think through for her divorce. And um, I wanted her to see her and get all of her paperwork in order while she knew the decision she was making there too. So mm -hmm. she could pick her personal staff. She could pick her medical power of attorney. She could pick her financial power of attorney mm -hmm. and she could, you know, all the, all the roles. Mm -hmm. And so we did that too. Um, so that was a smart thing to have in place. Mm -hmm. So now it's time to um, sell the house, which was traumatic. This was not a small thing. Mm. She was very upset. She did not want to move. She did not want to leave her home. Why, why, why? You know, and, um, and then Michael passed and then it really became time that she needed to move. And so I was glad we had done the work and taken her to see the places and meet the people. Mm -hmm. And Michael agreed with our choice. So that felt good to me. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I'm communicating with her mom and her aunt Margie and her cousin Kathleen, who was a big financial supporter, um, big emotional supporter. Kathleen made sure she got to go, that Jane Marie got to go see an acupuncturist, mm. you know, um, regularly. And um, her mom and others made sure that she had an Uber driver that she knew that would take her to those appointments. And Kathleen mm. would fund those things. And her nice. mom would make sure that he stopped to get her a diet soda on the way home. That was her, a big thing. Icy diet soda. Anytime I was anywhere within her neighborhood, it was an icy diet soda. Mm -hmm. um, so we, so trying to also get her some of her favorite things in life. Right. Yeah. So the bottom drawer in her room at this house was filled with her favorite treats. <laughs> so she didn't have to ask people for them. She'd go and get them, you know? Um, so things like that meant a lot too. I think yeah. that, the little things became the big things. Um, so, so she's in this house now and that was supposed to be the place she lived till end of life and life, life went on. And that's what became the pattern was going to visit her there. Um, her mom would send clothes. I was able to find a woman, uh, Mary Archer, who, um, who, what she did for people was arranged group outings. So there was a van that would come and pick up six or seven people on Fridays. They'd take them to the museums or to the park, always out for a meal. And um, Jean Marie would live for those days. Get, you know, get me out of this house and let yeah. me see some other life and let me order what I want for dinner. And it was a godsend and Kathleen would fund that. So nice. I'm trying to make a point here of the team of people yeah. that supported her um and the communication was you know part of my role was to make sure i kept them up to speed on what her status was how she was progressing what her needs were um and you know her mom would come visit too and um and her aunt margie would come to visit and kate would come down from college um with even with that emily and casey it wasn't enough she had more hours and more days in her room, in that house without people. Because as much as you would try to make time and do all, and I tried to make time and the people would visit, there was still a lot of time that she was watching TV or listening to music or doing her own thing. And I, I hated that. I just, I still think, God, should I have gone more? Could I have found more time to be there? Could mm -hmm. I have, you know, um, it's really hard, that part. Because wow. I had, a, you know, I had a family too. And mm -hmm. a a full-time job and all the things, right? Yeah. Um, so there's challenges in there. And anybody listening to this, I want to hear them be acknowledged that it's hard yeah. and I get it, you know? How do you think her family was able to accept that you were a part yeah. of the team? What, it, what was it that, what is mm -hmm. it about you or what is it that happened that made her family go, all right, Pam is a part of this team that is serving mm -hmm. our loved one. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, um, in some ways it's sensitive to talk about that because I know that her mom in particular really struggled with that, thinking that maybe she should be the one who is there. Um, and, and probably, although grateful to me and expressed that 
a hundred times over every time we talked. I love you. You're an angel. What would we do without you? So much gratitude. And I think so much guilt too. Like mm -hmm. I'm the mother, I should be there. Or some, one of our family members should be there. And my commitment to Jane Marie was to honor what Jane Marie wanted. Mm -hmm. And Jane Marie was very clear to me. I don't ever want my mom to have to be my caretaker, not my full-time caretaker. And I want to stay in Colorado. And so, you know, she adored her mother and they spent a lot of time together. Her mom called her every single day, more than once on many days. But that's a big commitment too. We're talking years mm -hmm. and her mom never missed a day. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was hard to be in Philly, you know, mm -hmm. and that's your baby girl, you know. So they just were very appreciative of me, very thankful um, I had many people in my life ask me why, why, why do you do this? You know, you're not even family. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I'm family, you know, yeah. um, I know I'm, I know I'm not a relative and Jean Marie and I feel like, you know, we have a sisterhood and how could I not do it? I never, it was never, I don't even know how to explain this, but to me, it was never a question in my mind of not doing it. It's just like the journey started and you don't jump out of the car. There's just <laughs> no way. I could not live with myself if I just said, you know what? I've had enough. I don't know who's doing it next, but I'm out. <laughs> you know, I just, I loved her and I still love her. It was about eight and a half years from diagnosis to when she passed, which interestingly is what they say the average is for early onset Alzheimer's. Uh, and mm. I had such a learning experience and an emotional roller coaster ride watching her progression. Um, because I think the saddest part is that you, you lose your friend while they're still alive. So that was hard to watch. Yeah. And yeah. there were many moments of, of joy and laughter and fun times along the way too. Um, and she was so unique in being so accepting. Jane Marie's um, Alzheimer's presented in a very unique way. And all the people with dementia, there's so many different kinds of dementia. It's not all Alzheimer's. And even with Alzheimer's, she wasn't a person that forgot who I was ever. She knew who her mother was and her closest family members till her last breath. And so we had the gift of that, that she never did not know who I was. In fact, she called for me all the time at her home, you know, get Pam, get Pam, um, ask Pam. And that was a real comfort. Um, how her disease presented was um, visually, um, she never went blind, but her, her spatial thing um, shrunk. She started to lose weight drastically because she couldn't see her silverware and her food in front of her. And they didn't have the resources to just have people sit and feed her every meal. Um, and that was shocking to me when I noticed her weight was dropping so fast. And so we had to, um, deal with that and try to come up with things like giving her insurer drinks. Um, but then that causes diarrhea at some point and stomach upset. So then what do you do? So there was always challenges like that. Um, uh, but we went to see this eye specialist and, you know, they would ask, so how are you doing, Jane Marie? And she said, my life is so great. And I'm sitting in the corner of the room listening to this and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You know, who in her situation would describe their <laughs> life as great? She said, are you kidding me? People cook all my meals. They clean for me. I don't have to do a bit of cleaning. Um, I get the best health care. My bills are paid. How, how could life be any better? She said, and I have this wonderful team of people. Um, and that, that make my life work like that, like her over there. And she, she'd look at me and point because she knew I was sitting in the corner of the room. And then she would start to cry because she was so grateful and so appreciative. And it was just her, her emotions would get so full with gratitude. And I just thought, how could I have a better person in my life to teach me um, gratitude? If she can be mm -hmm. grateful for her life. So... That was just one of the many, many gifts, many, many gifts. What a gift her friendship was to you. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was moments like that.
And then there were moments where we were driving down Dan Schutz and, and she would, um, you know, she had, she started to have hallucinations and this, this happened pretty, pretty early on for a while. She thought her room was getting smaller and she thought maybe people were trying to take her things and why are they trying to make my room smaller? And there's always carpenters in here. And she would swear that she heard pounding at night, um, in her room, somebody like beating a hammer on, on the floor or the ceiling. And, um, and you know, when we'd talk to the people at Anschutz, I would explain that and they would increase her meds gradually. Um, but this one day we were driving down to the doctor's appointment and she said, Pam, I've got something I've got to talk to you about. I'm like, okay, what is it? And, uh, she said, there's these men, they've been coming in my room. They want me. And I'm like, they want you? Like, how do you mean they want you? She said, like, they want me, Pam. Like, they're they're good looking. They, you know, I, 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 you know, my intuition's always been great. So I'm not wrong about this. I said, yeah, you've always had really good intuition. You know, so tell me about them. You know, what are they like? Well, they're really kind and they're really friendly and, you know, they're flirt with me. And I said, well, that sounds like fun, you know, so you know, so tell me more about them. So what I learned is it made no sense at all to try to tell her that this was not really happening, you know, with any of her hallucinations. It's like trying to be rational with somebody who's irrational. It just doesn't work. So instead, I would just jump into the fantasy with her and we would have such a good time and I would enjoy it. The conversation was great, you know, and so her concern was, so what do I do about this? Like, if they ask me out, should I go? And I said, well, heck yeah, why wouldn't you go? You know, if you like them and they like you and they want to have a good time, why not? Said, yeah, I thought that too. And, you know, she goes, but Pam. <laughs> and I said, they want to have sex with you? Well, yeah. I mean, that's what they're really going for. And I said, well, then go for it. Why wouldn't you? You know, I mean, look at Jane, you're almost 60 and. Um, why the heck not? You know, if they're nice and whatever, you're available. And so um, she's like, well, you know, I've never had sex before. And I was like, well, really? I said, because you have your daughter, Kate. I'm pretty sure you have. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I did. I did. I had to have done that. Um, and so we cleared that up. And then we just kept talking about it a little bit more. And she said, you know, I knew you would know what to do. I knew I just had to talk to you about it. And it's good. She's claps her hands, which she always did when she had the answer, you know, or had the, the punctuation on the sentence, she'd clap her hands. And she was just giddy about the, these men and the fact that she was going to go out with them and have sex with them. And so it was moments like that too, that it was just pure joy and laughter and fun. And, um, and of course, you know, we had that same conversation many times, you know, and I knew we would, and we just played it out the same way every time. And it was fine. And so, so her memory was going in that she may not have remembered that we talked about that, or she may have had a momentary blip about things in the past, but she never did not know who her people were. And she never lost her ability to share her emotions. Her emotions were always present. And she knew even mm -hmm. towards the very end, um, the house that she had lived in that we thought would be her end of life home. Um, they were unable to keep her safe anymore. They, she would stand up and get out of bed and then just fall, to, you know, hit the floor. There was a time where we needed to have her in a wheelchair because she couldn't see the walls anymore and she'd bump into them. Um, and so they called me mm. one day and just said, we hate this because we totally plan on her being here till end of life. Um, but we just don't have the resources we feel like to keep her physically safe. Um, and Jane Marie lost, lost her ability to form her words. So she would garble her sounds and stuff. And if you knew her really well, like as I did, I could kind of decipher and translate. Um, but it became harder and harder. And it was so frustrating for her. And um, sometimes mm -hmm. she would swear because she you know, knew she was trying to get something out and she couldn't get it out. So that was the mm -hmm. good and the bad. Like it was good that she still had the wherewithal to know that. And it was hard on her because she knew what was happening to her. You know, sometimes mm. there's a gift, I think, in Alzheimer's where people go to this happy place or this content world and they don't even realize what all is going on. But she, she mm -hmm. did. And so 
um, that was good news and bad news. It was, it was you know, hard. Um, so anyway, we moved her. I found, well, the place where she lived recommended this place just a couple blocks away um, where she would get, you know, full-time skilled nursing care and they would help her transition through to the end of life and surrounded by beautiful hospice people, the chaplain and um, they all each had their different roles and they would explain to us what was going to happen, which felt very comforting. Um, Jane Marie was aware that something drastically changed. She was not happy about it. And from the minute she got to this new place where they treated her really well, she made up her mind. I think that she was done because I went and bought her her favorite chocolate donut gems and her favorite drinks and she would bite her teeth together and not let me put any food in. She just made up her mind. I was done. Nothing's going in. And it would be time for dinner. I remember, you know, where she could hardly speak and form clear words, um, her asking me a question and I couldn't get it. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're asking. And it was this complete moment of articulation where she said, what time is it? And it was that clear and that frustrated. And it came out like, wow. <laughs> and so there were moments of shock too, where things like that would happen. But it was very clear to me that she decided that she was done. And for her to have the control over that in some way felt really, really good. Um, and she actually mm -hmm. passed away um, 10 days from the day we moved her into that home. And... Um, her mom was there and her daughter had just stopped in. She had been in town for a dentist appointment from Fort Collins where she went to college and said, I'm just going to stop and see my mom. And she, so she was just there as God would have it. And her brother flew in and um, she loved her brother, Brian, and they were all there for her last breath. I was on my way to a hockey game when I got the call that they said, we cannot believe what's happened in the last 24 hours that she's been from where she was. We thought it could be a couple of weeks and now we think it could be hours. And I'm like, well, do I need to come over there now? And they're like, I think I'd come over here. And so mm -hmm. uh, I had my husband drive me over and drop me off with my abs Jersey on. And um, when I walked in the door, she had just, she had just passed. And so that worked out oh. great too, that she was surrounded by her mom and her daughter and her brother. And then I was mm -hmm. there to, um, you know, say my goodbyes too, which, you know, I had said all along, we were very clear. We had a great, a great moment in her room. She list her, her joy at the end was just listening to music. And we had her Alexa going all day long with her favorite singers, Barbara Streisand and Michael Buble and, um, Barry Manilow and whole Carol King. And, um, and I would, I would sit with her and we would dance, you know, with her sitting in the chair and she knew the rhythms and she would have her own way of expressing that. And our last song together was, you have, you've got a friend by Carol King. And that's a treasured memory too. So what a beautiful, beautiful experience you had with her. There's, you know, the, the joy and suffering that go together in life. And yeah. from the way you describe her, she had such joy and such suffering and the crazy thing about life is you can't have one without the other mm -hmm. you experience it all and yeah. so even as you described the the day she died and the joy and being able to have her family there and the you know the last song you had with her and there's so much joy in that but then there's the suffering the grief and losing someone you love so deeply so mm -hmm. thank you for sharing this story and, as you were talking about it, I was reflecting on your description of, you know, she knew who you were, she knew her home, and that there's so many different kinds of dementia. It, when we had Kay Adams on, she talked about dozens of types of dementia and Alzheimer's and that it looks different for every person. And you had such a unique experience with her. I'm curious how in the end you were able to move, not even in the end, throughout the journey and in the end, how you were able to emotionally handle all of it and 
learn from the experience and then heal from the loss. Mm. Can you tell us about that? I think I just felt so strong in our relationship and how good it was. Um, and it's, it's also that, you know, push and pull of not wanting her to suffer anymore. Not that she would have said she was suffering, but clearly her quality of life was, you know, a one on a Declining. scale of 10. And mm -hmm. so you don't want that to continue either. She, especially when she knew what it was like, you know, and she's spending her days, you know, every waking moment listening to music and not really being able to enjoy the things that we all enjoy um, with food and going out and doing all the things she loved. And so it was also an acceptance of what the end was. And so there was this feeling of waiting for the end, you know, and trying to make her life as <clears throat> comfortable as possible until that moment. But at some point it just becomes excruciating for everybody. And so I think there's a, gosh, gratitude's probably too strong of a word, but a, a settling or an acceptance or um, trying to call on your faith to think she'll be in a better place so that when it goes, it's like, okay, finally, you know, uh, this journey is, you know, we've arrived, if you will. Um, and so there's a peace in that and there's a relief and, you know, um, all those things. And of course we had to move through the part of, you know, the pain. Um, I think I felt the most heartache for her mother um, to have to lose another child and watch her go through that. I, I just, I guess I think the, the thing then is this calling on your faith system, whatever that is and your spirituality. And Jane Marie's was strong and she and I shared our belief system. And so I think that helped too. Mm -hmm. um, and just honoring her and what a great life she had and what a great friendship we had and what a gift she was. I know for you, Pam, one of the um, things that I think brought your heart to peace after she was gone was the celebration of life yeah. that you held for her at her church. Maybe yes. talk a little bit about that. She loved her church, the Mile High Church of Religious Science, and was a member and a faithful attendee. And she and I went there many, many times together. And I still go there, too. And it, it, I can't be in there without thinking about her and being there with her. Um, and the beautiful memorial service that they helped us host there. It was no questions asked where it needed to be and who needed to be there and the music that needed to be played. And it could not have been a better celebration of who she was and her presence there. And that felt very satisfying to me uh, to know that we honored her and to know that she was there. And I just kept thinking um, how much she would love what we were doing and who spoke her friends who, you know, um, I asked from EPA, um, could you, would you be willing to share a story? And they did. And they told the best stories about her and their experience with her that really reflected her and who she was and what the, what the minister said about her too, the female pastor, it was just perfect. Um, it was just great. It was just great. And Jane Marie loved to be on the stage. She was very comfortable dancing in front of groups, singing in front of groups. Um, she, she was completely comfortable as a public speaker, as the, you know, giving a eulogy, writing a eulogy for others. Uh, she liked to be the center of attention that way. And so, mm -hmm she would have loved being the center of attention at the center of attention at her memorial service. It was all about mm -hmm. her and it was all good. And the music was good. And her cousin Kathleen hosted everybody who came for a dinner at Olive garden, which was Jane Marie's favorite restaurant. And so I just felt like we honored her in all of the ways that she would have loved. And so it was such a nice, a nice ending, a nice celebration for her, a good send off, great send off. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
That's beautiful. You could tell her personality was there. And yes. in my mind, no doubt that she was there. Yeah. Yes. He was, no doubt. he was there experiencing it and loving it. She was mm. sitting on the altar in like the priest chair, you know, if you can imagine like the, <laughs> the main, the main <laughs> dude. Um, yeah. She was there just grinning and probably laughing at the stories and, you know, doing her clap and her hands in the air. Yeah. The whole thing. I could just picture her. Yeah. Center of attention. Thank you so much for sharing this, the precious sacred story of your relationship with Jane Marie with us and our soul stirred audience. It's really, um, she really had a friend in you. She did. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for inviting me to talk about her and honor her. She was a beautiful person. Loved and so are you. It's one of those rare gifts in life. If you can have that experience. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you to our soul stirred listeners who have stayed with us and listened to this amazing story. We're so glad you've been here. We will look forward to the story that we have for you next week. And we hope you all take care. Take good care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Soul Stirred, Stories of Growth and the Human Experience. We hope our stories have touched your heart and sparked reflections in your own journey. Remember, while we are therapists, we are not your therapist, and this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. If you find yourself in need of professional support, please don't hesitate to seek it. Your well-being is important, and there are professionals out there who are ready to help. We encourage you to carry the spirit of growth and connection with you. Life is a continuous journey and we're honored to be part of yours. Stay tuned for more captivating stories in the episodes to come. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other.